Hello and welcome to this edition of the Ian Abernethy podcast. You can watch videos and listen to other podcast episodes by visiting www.ianabernethy.com. So, without further ado, here's Ian Abernethy. Oh, welcome to the latest enabernethy.com podcast, and as you've probably already guessed, or may already know, uh, I'm Ian Abernethy. Uh, before we get into the uh, meat of this month's podcast, a couple of quick bits of news for you. Uh, the annual course that myself and leading judo coach Mike Liptrot do, uh, that's on the 1st and 2nd of May this year. We're around two-thirds full at the moment, so anyone who wants to go on that course, it would be a good idea to book now, uh, and that way you know, you're safe of not being disappointed, really. But if you check, uh, the ills are on the website, uh, but if you want to go on that, please act sooner rather than later. Uh, while we're discussing uh, courses, one exciting bit of uh, news is that I'll be teaching in Seattle, in the USA, obviously, on the 14th and 15th of August, uh, alongside Mark Animal McYoung, uh, Chris Wilder, uh, Alan Peasland, and Nicholas Yang. And just so our uh, European and UK listeners don't feel left out, the following weekend, which is on the 21st and 22nd of August, uh, the same five instructors will be teaching in Coventry. <laughs> so these are, you know, it's going to be some uh, fun, uh, fun period of time. That uh, this, this is the brainchild of Chris Wilder, who thought it'd be fun to do um, a transatlantic, traditional stroke, reality-based um, seminar. So um, th- that's taking shape really nicely, and most of the details are all sorted out. And we'll let you know as soon as we're ready to launch. But those seminars are definitely going to go ahead. Um, so you can get those dates in the diary. So that's the 14th and 15th of August for those based in uh, the USA. Um, in Seattle and on the 21st and 22nd uh, that it'll be in Coventry for those based in the UK or uh, Europe so uh, obviously looking forward to that um, the uh, Pinan Hian series The Complete Fighting System uh, Volumes 1 and 2 uh, which have been the most popular DVDs we've done those they show the two-man drills that I teach as part of my, uh, my own syllabus uh, that cover the whole of the series and kind of each one builds on the next to develop a kind of holistic fighting uh, system um, so we've got those converted over into download format. If you check out the download section uh, of the website, if you're someone who prefers to uh, buy your uh, material electronically, they're now available. Um, other bits of news? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking to do a, um, a long period of, of training uh, with a kind of small select group. Um, as, as a lot of you'll know, I've been running a, an instructor's program for people who want to pick up uh, my general approach and make it part of what they do. We've been doing that for probably about four or five years now. But the, the guys who've kind of been on it for quite a long time, a few of them have expressed an interest in learning uh, not just the broad approach, but the specifics of what I do. So, uh, well, everything, you know, all, all the kind of the, 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 ba- the basic techniques, all the kind of uh, scenario-based drills we do, sparring drills, bunkai drills, all the pad work drills, the full full system, uh, up to and including first done. So there's been quite a few people have asked about that from within the instructor ranks. So I am going to start that off. It looks like um, I'm looking to do this with probably about 10, 12 people, um, and we'll probably have around about 10-ish, I think, from the instructor's ranks. Now, now from outside the instructor ranks, I've had a few people who have trained with me quite extensively although they haven't kind of pursued the instructor side of things who want to do this as well just for that kind of their own knowledge and um and own achievement so if um if uh, but in the interest of fairness i kind of want to open this up so um if anyone who has trained with me extensively would like to do um get into detail and look at my kind of down grade syllabus with a view towards the end you know if it's all going well for you you could uh, grade in the system to uh, to first down level and uh, this is only open to existing down grades and people who've trained 
friend with me extensively already, okay? So if you're not one of those people, then obviously you don't fit the criteria and it won't be open to you. But for those guys that are working with me a lot as it stands, if, if that's something you would like to do, there may be an opportunity for maybe one, two, three at most of you, I think. Um, so, again, what I was saying, in the interest of fairness, what I'm going to do is I'll, I'll put out a... Um, a, a note when I know exactly how many spaces are free, and then people can submit applications, and we'll, we'll, we'll just you know pick the most qualified people, or you know if everyone's equally qualified, or if there's a group that are equally qualified, we'll just draw names out of a hat. But I just wanted to make you aware of that. I'm looking to start that in kind of October of this year, really. So um, yeah, have a little think about that one. Um, the final bit of news is that uh, in a couple of days' time, I fly to Australia for a, a week-long uh, teaching uh, out there, which obviously I'm looking forward to massively, um, and hope to meet up with uh, a good number of the Australian contingent while I'm out there, so that'll be good. Uh, but obviously, while I'm away, I won't be in the office to answer any emails, um, so I've asked Helen the, any emails that are addressed to me personally, uh, just to delete them and send a note back saying, you know, Ian's not here, can you resend it, you know, as of the 1st of April. Uh, the reason I have to do that is the, the amount of emails that I get, I, I get around about three hours worth every day. So if I was to try and get on top of those after I've let them build up for 10, 12 days, it's just not going to happen. So if you have any communications for me personally, uh, I, would, I would appreciate it if you would leave it until um, until April, until I'm uh, back in the office and then I can kind of uh, bat them away as they come in, if you know what I mean. Okay, so I think that's all the news done. Uh, so we'll now move on to the podcast. Uh, this month, um, where this podcast comes from, it follows on from one we did, I think it was October last year, we did one called What is Kata? Um, where we looked at, um, you know, what a kata actually is. And one of the, th the feedback I got from that was, you know, people are a little bit confused how uh, kata could record a style. So I thought, okay, we'll, we'll expand on that, and that's what this podcast is. So in this podcast, we're going to discuss um, kata and how a kata can be a complete fighting system in its own right. In this podcast, I'd like to discuss what I feel are some of the most common misunderstandings when it comes to kata and bunkai, and hopefully explain how a single kata can record an entire combative system. The first thing to address is the view that individual kata are incomplete in themselves and need to be combined with others in order to effectively address the needs of conflict. It needs to be remembered that the kata that we've collected together today in the various modern styles were created independently by different people at different times and in different locations. The kata were not created by committee with each kata covering a given aspect of combat. So we often hear things like, you know, kata A is for an armed opponent, kata B is for long range fighting, kata C is for fighting on a boat, kata D is for fighting a large opponent on a gravel surface on a wet Wednesday and so on. However, this is not the case as every kata is a standalone system. Uh, we'll discuss this a little bit more later, but the only exception being kata that were designed to be used as part of a group, such as the Pinanahian series. But however, kata such as Kashanku, Wanshu, Chinto, Basai, etc. are all holistic, standalone systems, and it is a mistake to think of them as only being about a singular aspect of combat, and that they need the others to combine with in order to make a workable system or style. Uh, one reason this misunderstanding persists is a failure to understand how karate developed i.e. mistakenly thinking the kata were created by individuals who were aware of each other in a well I'll make a kata to address X if you do a kata to address Y and in a couple of hundred years some people we've never even heard of can finally bring them together in a complete style. You know That never happened. Another reason this misunderstanding persists is because of another common misunderstanding namely that kata is all about technique. 
Cutter is not about technique, it is about principles. Now before I go any further, I need to clarify what I mean by principles. You know, this is important, this. Because sometimes people who have no idea about the realities of combat and the purpose of Cutter use the term principles as a get-out-of-jail-free card. Now, so if they've no idea what a Cutter motion represents, and they've no idea how it should be applied in combat, they will say the motion is not for direct application, but is instead about principles. Now that's not an acceptable answer, and you know, I'll explain why. Now it's my view that each and every motion in kata can be directly applied in combat. All of them. Every single movement can be used in combat. So there's no, no movements that are symbolic or anything like that. They're all directly applicable in combat. Now, as useful as these combative techniques are, what is even more useful is the combative principles that those techniques express. Further mark this kind of distinction on what we mean by principles. Combative principles can only be expressed through combative techniques. If a movement is not combative, you know, so when people say you know it's symbolic or whatever, then it's not combative. But if it's not combative, then it is not based on combative principles. So it's entirely uh, incorrect and illogical for people to say that a kata motion is not for direct application in combat but instead it's about principles for use in combat. You can't have that. The two things need to be linked. If you have no direct combative application for a motion, then it is not based on any combative principles, and therefore you have no logical argument. So no direct combative application, no combative principles, no logical argument, no idea how kata should be applied, right? I've marked that kata is about principles though, you know, but these principles are combative principles expressed through combative techniques. To be an effective fighter, it's not lots of techniques we need, but an ingrained and intuitive understanding of combative principles. Now, good fighters know this, and the creators of kata knew this too. So, the kata they've created don't seek to contain all the techniques of a given style. What they instead contain is a selection of techniques which effectively communicate and encapsulate the key principles of a given combative style or system. When we think and fight at principle level, it's easy to see how each kata can be a complete system in its own right. Now, as Funakoshi once said, once you master one technique, you will realize its close relationship to all other techniques. Now, what forms that relationship is the principles. So we don't need to learn all possible techniques, but instead what we need to do is internalize the principles that give rise to those techniques. And we can do this through detailed study of the solid combative examples provided by kata. So, as I say, the creators of the kata knew this, and they constructed their kata on that basis. So I'd like to expand on this just a little further by just quoting a couple of paragraphs from my Bunkai Jitsu book, which kind of covers this, this same area. So I'll just, just read these out to you. So It should be remembered that a kata is meant to record an entire standalone combative system. However, it would not be practical to record every single aspect of that system or the kata would become ridiculously long. It would be far better to record techniques that succinctly express the key principles of that system. An analogy I like to use to explain how a, uh, a kata records a complete system is that of an acorn and an oak tree. An oak tree is vast both in terms of its size and its years lived, but everything about that tree, and everything needed to reproduce it, is found in a single acorn. A fighting system produces kata in the same way that an acorn uh, is produced by an oak tree. Both the acorn and the kata are not as vast as the thing that created them, but they record them perfectly. For an acorn to become an oak tree, it must be correctly planted and nurtured. For a kata to become a fighting system, it must be correctly studied and practiced. 
Now it's here that we find one of modern karate's biggest failings in that the kata are rarely studied sufficiently. To return to my analogy, we have the seeds, but we don't plant them. Okay, so you know, it's, um, I hope that kind of helps a little bit and um, clarifies things. Um, but the key to my thinking is the view that combative principles are what we should truly seek. Techniques are mere manifestations of those principles. So not only do kata provide the techniques, but more importantly, through the study of those techniques, they also provide the principles on which the techniques rest. So the key thing to understand is why techniques work. Try to get beyond the simple memorizing of individual techniques and endeavor to fully understand the principles of combat upon which the katas are based. Principles are far more important than techniques because principles can be applied in an infinite number of ways. But techniques are very specific and hence limited. You should aim to be an adaptable and versatile fighter and to, uh, to do that you need to fully understand the principles and uh, you need to learn how to fight in accordance with those principles. Now, as discussed earlier in the podcast, today we tend to see each cat as being part of a larger set that ultimately combined to form a style. But we can see that if we look at the history that the cat that we have collected together today were created separately by different people at different times. They were not originally intended to be used together as part of a larger group of cat, but were created separately to be individual entities in their own right. A further kind of evidence of this, if you look across the spectrum of kata, you can see a lot of repetition. For example, knife and block or shutuki is in most kata. Uh, now this makes sense if the kata were meant to be uh, studied and applied individually. But it would make no sense if the whole group of kata were meant to be used as a group. Now why keep repeating the same motion if another kata has already taught it? But if the kata were meant to be standalone systems, which, which I believe they were, you would expect to see repetition of motions across the kata because individuals that created those kata, being unaware of the other kata and the other creators, have independently found those motions to be highly effective, i.e. they independently reach similar conclusions about fighting. You know, because in terms of you know stylization, the, the movements become more and more stylized. But the kind of core um, similar movement can be found across the whole uh, the whole gamut of of kata. So when I say each kata is a separate style, I mean just that. I don't mean each kata or style is totally unique and there is no crossover with other kata or styles. What I mean is that the kata are completely independent of each other and that they don't need to be grouped with others to have value. So again, I mean they weren't grouped together historically. That's relatively uh, new that that's happened. Now, you know, now, as I did mention earlier, there are some instances where kata are meant to be applied as a group. In these cases, the kata were specifically designed to be that way, and they are the exception, not the rule. So, the Pinan and Hian series would be a good example. Um, indeed, in uh, Karate Do Kyohan, Gichin Funakoshi says that once this group has been learned, an individual will be able to protect themselves in most situations. So, you know, he's telling us that the Pinan Hian series is a standalone system too. Make it made up of five kata that were always intended to be used together. You don't need to learn all the other kata to, in order to make the Pinan Hian series a complete style, they're complete in their own right, in the way that the individual uh, kata, you know, uh, Basai and uh, Chinto, Sishan, all these are independent as well. So, the, and, and the way they do that is the kata record techniques that express a given masters or styles core combative principles. Not every single technique or every single expression of those principles, because that would be impossible, but enough to ensure that the principles are clearly communicated. The student of the kata would then aim to internalize those principles such that they could manifest in combat in an infinite number of ways, you know, like the acorn analogy we talked about earlier on. Um, and when they can do that, they'll be a very effective and versatile fighter. Now, I think one of the best and most succinct explanations of this process was written by Uzuka in his book uh, Wadaru Karate. So. 
He said, you know, it is obvious that these kata must be trained and practiced sufficiently, but one must not be stuck in them. One must withdraw from the kata to produce forms with no limits or else it becomes useless. It is important to alter the form of the trained kata without hesitation to produce countless other forms of training. Essentially, it is a habit created over long periods of training, and because it is a habit, it will come to life with no hesitation by the subconscious mind. And that's a great paragraph that kind of really sums up what kata is about and how it should work and how it should manifest itself in combat. So what we need to do is move beyond the specific examples that kata provides, or as Azuka puts it, to withdraw from the formal kata, so that we can freely express the underlying principles, or to paraphrase Azuka again, uh, to produce forms with no limits that will come to life from the subconscious mind. Kata's purpose is therefore to develop an intuitive understanding of the combative principles exhibited by the example techniques within kata so that these principles can be freely applied. A kata therefore seeks to record the key principles of a given system using combative techniques. A kata does not need to record every single possible technique of a fighting system, but instead the principles from which all those techniques arise. Mabuni, the founder of Shitoryu, I mean, he wrote that it would not be possible to create fighting drills that included all the techniques and all their variations. He went on to say that sufficient practice and study of kata would provide the foundation for the endless variety of techniques that could be uh, expressed when the need arose. So it's moving through the study of specific combative techniques to the study of the underlying combative principles that will enable kata to provide this foundation from you know, which all the other methods can kind of spring, you know. Um, Gichin Funakoshi's 18th precept of karate, he said, always perform kata exactly, combat is another matter. Now some people see this as Funakoshi saying kata and combat are two different things, but that's not what he meant. In Nagasone's explanation of this precept, which Funakoshi endorsed, he explains that although the solo kata should always be precise, we should not be shackled by the rituals of kata in combat, but instead move freely according to the dictates of the situation. Now this is very much in line with what Azukra Mabuni said, we need to move beyond the specific examples of kata, such that we can adapt and vary in line with the kata's principles, so we can freely express them. Now those familiar with uh, you know, what I do will know that I see kata not as a thing, but as a process that has four interdependent elements. So we learn um, and endlessly refine the solo kata. We practice the bunkai uh, for each kata motion. We identify the underlying principles so that we can adapt and vary. And then we gain live experience of applying those techniques and principles of, of the kata in kata-based sparring. Okay, so one, learn the kata. Two, learn the bunkai. Three, identify the underlying principles so you can adapt and vary. And four, gain live experience of, uh, of doing it. Now, a more detailed breakdown of this process can be found in the uh, the free ebook on the website that I've got there, the application to applied karate ebook. Um, if you click on the join the newsletter page, you can find details of it there if you haven't read it. But you know, just to kind of quickly touch on that, though, that's how I see kata working those four stages. Um, now, the key thing to that, from what we're discussing today, is identifying the principles and their free expression in live situations. Um, now, obviously, Uzuka, Mabuni, and Funakoshi also expressed that in their writing. So if we just flip it a little bit now, so I see the creation of kata as working in a similar way, but in the opposite direction. 
So, you know, in our fourth stage, we just discussed we kind of end with the free expression in combat. But let's work it the other way around. Let's see how Kata um, come from a fighting system, how, how the Kata's uh, developed. So I would say the first stage is that a given uh, method or fighting style has proved to be effective in live situations. The second stage would be we would identify the underlying principles that have made that method uh, or that fighting style effective. We identify what they are. Stage three, um, now no attempt is made to teach every single possible manifestation of those principles we've identified as that would be impossible in a highly ineffective training or teaching method. Uh, to enable us to communicate these principles, a selection of combative techniques and drills which are felt to most effectively express those principles are decided upon. And the final stage is the selection of techniques are recorded in a solo form to ensure the continuity of information through the generations and to provide a supplementary method of solo practice. So as we will take the cutter and extract the information into a live free-flowing combative system, a live free-flowing combative system can be worked backwards into a cutter, and this is what was done originally of course. So a cutter is therefore a distillation of a full fighting system. Now it's only possible to understand how this works, and therefore to realise kata's full potential, if we understand that kata is more of a record of combative principles than, a, than solely a, um, a record of combative techniques. Um, now I do appreciate the talk of combative principles can be difficult to grasp for the less experienced martial artist, however I do hope some of the preceding discussion makes things a little um, easier to digest. Now, it's been my experience that all the highly effective martial artists of all kinds that I've trained with over the years teach and practice at principle level. Now, as important as technique is, what is more important are the principles that give rise to those techniques. So I say, as I look at my, my, my instructors, you know, the, the, it was often key principles that just keep returning to you over and over again, you know. Um, you know, I think of like training with uh, Peter Considine and he talks about uh, uh, power generation and transitions and uh, Mike Liptrot who I do the judo with, you know, a lot of uh, uh, balance breaking, posture, um, rotation, you know, it's principle level that, and these principles are manifest in every single technique that we have. Now I'm sure the past masters were all the same as this and, and they reflected that in the kata they created, preserved and passed on to us. We should therefore view kata as being complete styles in and of themselves, not as incomplete segments of a, a larger style. Historically and practically, seeing individual kata as being for highly specific circumstances, with other kata addressing alternative circumstances, simply does not hold water. Well, I hope you enjoyed that podcast and found it uh, of some use. Uh, I'll be back with a new one next month. Next month, we're going to do one of the workout podcasts. Uh, we've done a couple of those before. So you kind of listen to it while you're training and it basically tells you what to do. Uh, so we're going to do a, a full all-round conditioning one um, for next month. We've done one for bag work. We've done a solo training one before. So we're going to do a kind of uh, a conditioning one, a strengthening one um, for next month, seeing as that's what most of you seem to want. Um, so yeah, if you're just subscribed to the newsletters, as soon as that's uh, that's ready to go, I'll let you know. And as usual, when we do the uh, workout podcast, there'll be a little kind of video clip you can download that'll explain it all and um, how that works. So yeah, I think that's about it for now. Um, I'm off to Australia. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll speak to you all when I get back uh, in April. Okay, take care now. Bye-bye.